And it's Pentecost Sunday, as we've heard, so I want to bring a message on the Holy Spirit. Next week, we'll also be looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, Johan will be sharing uh, next week, so we've kind of got this week and next weekend, just to have a bit of a focus. You know, there's many books written about the Holy Spirit, and one particular title got my attention. It was by Francis Chan. It said, The Forgotten God. The Holy Spirit, I reckon we sometimes struggle with accepting that He's a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. We, we end up probably just living with the Holy Spirit as a thing or a doctrine or something the Bible kind of talks about. So I, I've, I've called this title, Help My Unbelief. Help My Unbelief. And I'm going to tie that in with Pentecost. But the particular verse that this comes from is from Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58. And this new white background was inspired by Nick Shahadi's communion. I liked his white background, so I changed my ways. Um, and so, this is Jesus, he did only a few miracles. How many miracles? A few, a few miracles. They're because of their unbelief. That tiny little passage fascinates me. It doesn't say that Jesus didn't have the power to do miracles. It just says that he only did a few. Why? Because of their unbelief. That's a fascinating verse, just kind of stuck in there. But it just speaks to me about the importance of our belief. Do we believe in the power of Christ? Do we really believe it? Because in our unbelief, I'm suggesting to you today that it'll affect miracles. It'll affect miracles. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And I need to declare that I have grown up Pentecostal. I am a Pentecostal believer. That's my background, that's my history. I don't see anything wrong with it. You know, the only times I see something wrong when I say the word Pentecostal is when other believers say, oh, you're not one of those, are you? That's the only time I think, am I a bit odd? Am I a bit weird? Am I a bit strange? Is there something that I'm not aware of? Is there something that I'm not understanding? And, and so, and, and so that, that for me uh, has been a little bit confusing, to be honest. You see, I want to suggest to you today that there are extremes all over the world. There are extremes in clubs. There are extremes in governments. There are extremes in families. There are extremes in churches, can you believe it? There are extremes everywhere. And, and growing up as a Pentecostal, I was never aware of extremes. I just wasn't aware of it. I had no idea that there could be extreme Pentecostals until I got a bit older and became a bit more aware. Mainly from people saying, oh, you're a Pentecostal, are you? Oh, sorry to hear. <laughs> Dad, why are they saying that? Well, son, there's a few things I've got to tell you. But that wasn't my experience. It wasn't where I came. I, I never understood any of those things. I just want to say up front that I'm Pentecostal. And so I come with a, a lens. I also come with baggage. And I don't know what your background is, and I don't know what lens you come with, but I just want you to acknowledge your lens and acknowledge your baggage and, like me, submit that to the Word of God. Amen? Today is Pentecost Sunday. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would reveal to us afresh your deep love for us. Lord, let the presence 
of that love, who you are, be fully within us. Let it overflow in your name. Amen. Um, Before Pentecost Sunday, if you think about the disciples for a moment, the disciples, you could probably characterise them as fearful, a bit scared, a bit doubting, um, a little bit denying. Before Pentecost Sunday, it seemed as though Jesus was doing all the heavy lifting. After Pentecost, things really changed. Would you agree? The disciples and, and the believers really went for it. Something happened on Pentecost Sunday that changed the trajectory of Christianity forever. And the disciples, you can clearly see that. Peter, who ran away for fear of his life, denied Christ three times, in the end becomes the, the head preacher guy. And 3,000 get saved. What is happening there? His sermon wasn't that good. You know, there are critics of that sermon. It's all over the internet. Many people aren't happy with what he preached, but the fruit of the Spirit at work in the lives of those who heard the good news gave their hearts to the Lord. Um, I, I wanted to also bring a different message today. I said, I, I, Lord, help me see something new. So I'm going with some untried material. So I just need a lot of smiles. John Foley, I need some good smiles from you today. <laughs> Judith, I'm looking for a good one. Uh, Ken Cleasy up the back there, the good doctor, he's got my back. So I'm looking for some smiles today as we progress this. And, and what the Lord showed me really comes out of this passage here from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and in particular verse 5. And this is what it says... And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. The light bulb went off for me. This word love is is actually the word agape. And so, probably for one of the first times I more than ever aligned the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with the indwelling of agape. This love that seems so far beyond me. It just seems so far beyond me. Yet something about this giving of agape, the real presence of agape, the overwhelming infilling of agape into us, something of that is the power of God itself. What is God? God is love. God is agape. God's presence is agape. Everything God is, is agape. Agape, I just love saying agape. Everyone say agape. Doesn't sound great. Who added a Greek accent then? I think I heard a bit of Greek in there. And then we come to the the verse of Pentecost, which is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit fills our heart with agape. God's power is in agape. When we experience agape, you experience His power. Agape is powerful. When you enter into agape, you are operating outside of yourself. It is really not possible for us to be and operate within agape without the Holy Spirit. The ongoing work of agape transforms us. Every time I bash into love, 
undeserved love, love that just comes to me just because. Every time I crash into that and fall into that and experience that and practice that and receive that, I'm transformed again and again and again. Those little sharp bits are just getting knocked off. You know, some bits are being improved and, and, and things are happening in my mindsets, in my heart. Things are changing. Something is happening. You see, God changes us always from the inside out. It's never from the outside in. It's always from the inside out. The Holy Spirit comes to change our hearts. Our heart, our heart is filled. Our heart is overflowing with His love. Our heart is overflowing with this power. And then that spills out to become witness. It's really hard to witness without God. It's really hard to witness without agape love. It's really hard to witness without the Holy Spirit empowering us. That is the point of the Holy Spirit being given to us so that we can witness what Christ has done forever. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit is not confined to a certain point in time. The Holy Spirit is here, just like He's down at Knightsbridge Church, just like He's down at all the churches in the area. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. And where as Christians we get confused, sometimes we expect Christians to change on the outside. And that's not the right way to look at it. Sometimes we look on the outside for signs of change. We evaluate people on the outside, but that's not what God does. What God does is He changes our inside. And from our inside comes change. From our inside comes His power. From our inside comes witness. Comes witness. It's always the inside first. You know, when I think of agape love, what comes to mind? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Does that come to anyone else's mind? When I think of the word love, what comes to mind? The marriage chapter. Every time you go to a wedding... They pull out 1 Corinthians 13. What does it say? It says this, three things will last forever, faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. But you should always desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Now in the weddings, they tend to cut that bit out there. They just kind of stop, you know, these love is the highest, let love be your highest goal. That word love is agape. We're talking about agape again. The marriage chapter is all about agape. I'll be honest with you. If I still smiled like that when I held my wife, I don't think I'd be standing here. I've got to say that the experiment of agape I can best relate to in my marriage to Beck. That's just the best place that I can grapple with it, understand with it, wrestle with it. And it's also the biggest challenge of our marriage, certainly for me, is to love Beck even when she doesn't do what I want. <laughs> can I sum it up any better, fellas? is to love her when she doesn't respond the way I want, to love her when, when there's not a kind of a contract that she's fulfilled and so then I give her love, to love her anyway. That is so, so hard. I am terrible at it. 
But that is the struggle. That is the challenge. That is the place where I exercise to love my wife in spite of what she cooked. To love my, li- to love my wife in spite of all those things that I think matter when really they just don't. There was one time where she made like this lemon chicken and um, the cream was clearly curdled. It, it was, you know. And, and we proceeded to serve it to guests. And listen, I'm not sure if I should talk about this. I'll move on quickly. Vine says that love, this agape love, is not an impulse on feelings. It's a choice. It's a reasoned love. That also can be emotional and beautiful and capture all those things. But it's a choice. It's a decision. It doesn't always run with natural inclinations. It doesn't always run with with what we're feeling, our gut feel. It doesn't always do that. And it doesn't just spend itself where we know we'll get a return. I did economics at uni and I get return. I get it. Agape love doesn't care about return. That is a confusing concept for an economist. How can he not have a return? It doesn't make any sense. Yet somehow in God's economy, it's very different to my economy. Somehow in God, when I give agape love, God meets all of my needs also. This is the love that Paul's talking about. What's interesting about the marriage chapter, what's interesting about this idea of love, is that it's smack bang in the middle of a huge controversy. Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians from chapter 12, 13 and 14, Paul is addressing a problem in the church. And what we do is we grab this passage in the middle of this controversy and we use it for weddings. Isn't that interesting? Well, I think it's funny, but it's also true. Because, because the, the wedding between a man and a woman is kind of a, an analogy between Christ and his church. And so it kind of works, it fits. We, we just don't look at it elsewhere. But, but if you look at Paul and his writings in chapters 12, 13 and 14, he is dealing with a heavy issue. You see, Corinth was a very spiritual place. The people in Corinth who Paul wrote this letter to understood spiritual life. In fact, these people understood possession. They understood what it was to be possessed by a very real spiritual force and not have control of themselves. This was the environment that Paul was writing into. You know, probably the most amount that we can relate to is when you're watching Netflix and you can't stop but see the next episode straight away. We're out of control. Or or there's another packet of chips in the the pantry and I've I've had the barbecue. I'm going to try chicken again because chicken's a classic favourite. And I think we're out of chicken again, actually. Um, So that's the closest we get to uncontrollable, isn't it? But not for these people. Paul wrote this letter at a real time to a real people who really opened themselves up to the spiritual world. They would go to their temples and gods and they would say, just God, I, I believe you're real, show me how you're real. And there is evidence, there is records of these processes in place. I don't know if you've ever played with a Ouija board or heard of a Ouija board. I don't know if you ever watch movies where they dabble in spiritual stuff. The spiritual world is real. It's just not really a massive part of the Western culture. It isn't amazing how many of us in Western culture are fascinated by Eastern mysticism. 
We know that there's something not there. We replace it with really nice things. We replace it with other things, but we know there's something there in the spiritual realm. Paul wrote this letter about the Holy Spirit, about speaking in tongues to a church that just got it wrong. I have never been to a church like that. Apparently, the church in Corinth, all they did was speak in tongues. Instead of saying, hello, Shion, this is what they would do. And then he would go back, and they just walked around the whole time doing shandara bandara. That was the environment that Paul was writing this letter into. Clearly, it's out of control, and Paul speaks about this order that should come with the spiritual gifts. That order speaks of us having authority. You see, the tongues and the spiritual gifts don't control us. We're always in control because they're gifts. But God invites us to operate in His power and partner with His power to make a difference in the world. But that's not what spirituality means to the people in Corinth at that time. They would give control of themselves over to these powers. I was in China and I'll never forget it. There was this lady that's so stuck in my head. The whole time we'd have these meetings and it was a, uh, we had to meet in a, in a room that was a bit dingy because, you know, the authorities were working out what was going on. So we knew that there was a bit of pressure there for us. The man came out of a Buddhist background and he was a pastor, radically saved. And his wife, she just kept hiccuping. It just wouldn't stop. And it increased when the word was being shared. It increased when the name of Jesus was being spoken. It just, it, 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 every time Jesus went, she would just hiccup like mad. Now, the first time I heard it, I thought, have some water, hold your breath, you know, stand on your head, do something. It's just driving me nuts. But after a while, I thought, that's, that's, that's not right, that's just weird. Something in my heart, something in my spirit just said, something's not right here. And so, and so another meeting later, we were sitting there and Pastor Barry, who came and spoke here, I was with him in, in China, and she just started firing up with these hiccups again. Oh, it was brutal. And then I looked at her, looked at Pastor Barry, and we just got up and we laid hands and we prayed for her. And we said, in the name of Jesus, let peace come and you filthy demon, get out. And she started bawling her eyes out. And she started doing these crazy croaks. And then within a short space of time, like, I don't know, 15 seconds, she was completely different. She was completely at peace. She was, she was completely healed. She was... She just had these eyes that were just full of love and joy and freedom. These hiccups had gone. They were no longer there. And everyone around her was just like, I can't believe she stopped hiccuping. It was just like this amazing cheer. I've seen enough stuff in my small amount of travel overseas to know that the spiritual world is real. It is real. And you see, what had happened is she explained her history and she'd opened herself up to this particular money god who was in the shape of a frog. And so this frog was manifesting itself in the way of a hiccup. 
kind of makes logical sense to me. But you see, when you open yourself up to those places and spaces, you really open yourself up to all sorts of things that we can't see. The only answer, the only answer is the name of Jesus. That's the only answer. That's the only answer. Um, uh, Beck doesn't sound like a frog at all. I shouldn't have left that picture up while I was talking about it. I just want to just uh, capture another point here from the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then a couple of chapters later in, in chapter 4, it's talking about the same group of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I think it means that the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the Holy Spirit is not just a once-off moment. It is an infilling. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I leak. Sometimes I leak. And I need an infilling. I need a filling. I need a touch from the Lord. I need His presence. I, I, I need the Holy Spirit to, to, to be in me and upon me again. I, I need to experience it. The book of Luke is very clear in how it talks about this notion of experience. It's an experience of the Holy Spirit. It's something which you can, you, you, you can feel, that you can engage with. It's not spooky. It's not crazy. Paul addresses the crazy, spooky stuff. It's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And so it's something which, which Christ continues in us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, we, I've prayed for many people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And some, sometimes the first time they experience it, they might speak in tongues. Sometimes they don't. I, I don't think it's all about tongues. I think if we get stuck on tongues... Our tongues get tied and the whole thing gets a bit messy and messed up. I think the Holy Spirit is really about witness. And I just want to draw a few analogies here between witness and martyr and drunk and filled. So these dictionary definitions, witness is an individual who personally sees or perceives a thing. Martyr, a person who sacrifices for the sake of a principle. Drunk, faculties impaired by alcohol and filled to Put in as much as can be held. So in Acts chapter 2 and verses 11 to 13, the Bible records Pentecost and those people who heard Pentecost, they heard something. It was a physical sound. But many of them made a comment. And the comment about what they saw and heard about the people that they saw who'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, who had received the Holy Spirit, this is what they said about them. Verse 13 says, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all they are. They're just drunk. My grandfather was a drunk. My mum's dad, he was a drunk. I, I had a school friend and I went to an 18th birthday party and, and we went out on the town and I, I missed the first bit of the birthday party because they went to a strip club dinner thing. So I skipped that bit. Oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. I said, I'd meet you after you came out from the dinner. And so we met afterwards and then we went clubbing. It's my first time I've ever been clubbing. I still really don't get it. We just walked down High Street, which was kind of fun. Like I was 18, I was massive, I was ripped. You know, I was ready to, you know, have some good times. And I was heading down Heine Street and we were walking tough and acting tough and doing all the things. My, my friends who were drunk 
They were talking so much. They just would not shut up. They were so brave. They were saying things and doing things that they never normally would do. They were acting really tough. And, and I found myself needing to kind of, don't do that, man. I think they're bikies and we don't want to go there. I found myself needing to kind of be in the middle of the situation. The whole night was a nightmare. I was a designated driver. I went home exhausted. They all had a great, they had a great night. They couldn't remember a thing. And I just thought, man, that's clubbing. I think I've had my club. When they were drunk, they were, they were kind of talking a lot and, and they were really brave and really courageous. I find it interesting that that's how they describe these people who are full of the Holy Spirit. They were courageous, they were brave, they were saying things that the Jews knew would get them in trouble. They were talking about things that were radical. They were talking things that were so radical, you know, apostles, you can't say that. Jesus just was crucified, you're hiding and you're running away, something happens, you come out and now you're saying all this crazy talk? Now you're talking about Jesus being the Son of God, you're talking about Jesus risen again, you're going to get yourself in trouble with the religious authorities. What are you doing? You guys are drunk. You guys are crazy. Don't talk like that. Isn't that interesting? But they they weren't drunk. They were just filled with the Holy Ghost. They were just overflowing with the agape love. They couldn't but not share. They couldn't but not speak. You see, the filling of the Holy Spirit just leads itself towards witness. If you're bursting, if you're overflowing, if you're filled with agape, how can it not come out and manifest itself in power and the gifts of the Spirit? How can it not? You see, I'm convinced that if we pray for revival to come in our land and we're praying for out there for it to happen, we've missed the point. Revival happens in here. Revival starts here. That's where it starts. That's where things change. When the Holy Spirit comes upon me and grabs my heart and I overflow with agape and, and I'm, I'm operating in that, I'm living in that, people notice something, people see something. And I am convinced more than ever that we tell ourselves it's not us, it's them. And we're constantly praying for everyone else outside. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but that's what our focus, when really it's, Lord, change me. Lord, give me that new heart. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, come upon me and let me fill your agape again. Because you know what? I haven't really witnessed like that for a long time. The same word for witness is martyr. I haven't acted like a martyr for ages. Put your hand up if you want to be a martyr. Please, not all at once. You know what the Bible says? You know, it's, I find it so funny because I do it in my life. There's bits of the Bible that I just grab hold of literally and wave it around. And then there's other bits. You can hardly get me to say it. I think that's the reason why we need to be filled with agape love. Because only when we're filled with agape love... Do we find ourselves in a place like this, where Stephen, one of the seven, a deacon, someone chosen to come in and help, Stephen in uh, Acts 6 and 8, he says, was a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among people. This was a bloke who was a guy, he's just, just a good man. That's it. In this church, we have a lot of good people, don't we? Stephen is just one of us. 
He's someone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's someone who's been called to participate and outwork in the church. We've all been called to participate and work our gifts in the church, haven't we? We're all called to minister, aren't we? So Stephen's doing this just like we are, but something's happened. He's full of God's grace and full of God's power and miracles are happening. You know what? When I think of Stephen, that's not the bit I think about. Let me tell you the bit I think about. It's this bit. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, Stephen has witnessed Christ. He has spoken with bravery. He has said things that are going to get him in trouble. He's acted like he's drunk. He hasn't worried about his own life. He's operated in the fullness of agape love and it's overflowed so selflessly that he's not even thinking about his death. All he's thinking about as he dies, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. That's what I remember about Stephen. Because you know what, if I was being stoned, that wouldn't come to my mind. What would come to your mind? That's the bit I remember. And Saul, Paul, he was one of the witnesses who approved. When you receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. The more I keep doing this Jesus thing, the more I keep doing this Christian thing, the more I realise that if I never get to see the northern lights, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have eternity to do that. The, the, the more I hang out in his presence, the more I allow Garpe to take hold of my life, the more I realise that my, my lounge suite is, is, is okay the way it is. The more that I enter into what God has for me, the more I live my life in a way that aligns with agape, the more I find myself going, you know what, I don't really need that and I don't really have to have that right of my life and I don't really have to worry about those things. That's what I'm finding as I live and outwork these things. I can't say I'm there yet and I can't say I was there yesterday, but I can see that's the direction I'm heading in. And I think that's the direction we're all heading in. That as we're filled with agape, as we're filled with the Spirit, so we live by the Spirit. And the other things don't matter. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to have eternity to do lots of things. You know, I really want to do stand-up surfing. I was always a bodyboarder. I just didn't have the image for a stand-up guy. I'll be honest with you, it's just not a pretty sight. But on a bodyboard, I could hide, I could lay down. And I used to love going surfing on the south coast and on York Peninsula. It was great fun. Really, 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 really good fun. But I want to be a stand-up guy. Are there any stand-up guys here? Someone I can just hug? No, I'll just hug myself. I want to be a stand-up guy. I want to go surf beaches that no one's surfed before. I'm going to have plenty of time for that. I've got eternity. I don't know about you, but I'm not sitting in a chapel singing all day. In eternity, there's not a day. I'm just not going to be doing that. I'm just going to be enjoying life and life to the full. I'm going to be enjoying life in the Spirit. God is going to be with me. In eternity, it's going to be an amazing place. I've got all the time in the world. Just quickly, one of the things that we get in trouble with, with, with Pentecost is this speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2 says, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Something special happened. This, this tongues came about. And there's lots of things to be drawn by. 
And as soon as you say speaking in tongues, half of the people go, whoa, let's just move away from this topic. Other people go, I'm a bit interested. And some go, that's just plain weird and I don't really want to hear it. But something special happened in the area of tongues and it was related to the filling of the Holy Spirit. It happens three times, in fact. But what I just want to show you really quickly are, are two different factors. Johan, a couple of weeks ago, preached a message on rebirth. And so in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, it says, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between being born of the Spirit and, and then receiving the gift of the Spirit. There's the, the, being born of the Spirit, when you're saved, you're born of the Spirit. That was, a, that was the, the, the preach we had relating to rebirth. But what's, what's predominantly happening here in Pentecost is, is, a, is a filling of the Spirit, an experience of the Spirit. And so I've, I sort of thought this through, go, how, how can I really wrestle with this more? And I kind of thought of a boat. I kind of thought of a boat. When we get saved... We're on a boat. We're safe. Before we're saved, we're in the water and it's dangerous and it's hard to stay afloat and it's really hard work to swim. I don't know if you ever had to tread water for a while. Um, I'm okay. I've got a high fat content. I float a bit. So it's a bit easy for me. But, you know, Davinda back there, oof, he is more muscle than fat and he would sink quickly if he didn't do this motion. Now, some of you need right now just to do that. Thank you for participating. <laughs> get some blood moving. So, so when we get saved, when we're born of the Spirit, we're in the boat. But let me tell you, it's not just there to be safe in, it's there to catch fish. It's there to catch fish, it's, it's there to be in the boat, but it's also there to be filled with fish, to be filled in the boat. That's the analogy that I could just kind of think, it kind of worked with me, it kind of, kind of spoke to me, because uh, Jesus comes along at the end of Matthew and says to the disciples who are fishing and catching nothing, hey, hey guys, I know you're safe, but if you chuck it in on the other side, you'll catch some fish. And that's what they did, and they caught fish. See, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, I, I just think we're destined to catch fish. When we're filled with agape love, we're just destined to catch fish. It's, it's not a matter of uh, if, it's a matter of when. And you see, when the disciples cast it on the other side... Do you think it was their brains and their smartness? No. It was the work of the Spirit that caused those fish to be there. So when the net was cast, it got pulled up. And there's the fish. That's how I believe filling of the Holy Spirit works. To be witnesses. To catch fish. And so he only did a few miracles because of their unbelief. Today, I would encourage you to pursue love, to pursue agape. Today, I would encourage you to desire the gifts. Today, I would encourage you to think about your life and go, when was the last time I really witnessed? When was the last time I just felt the presence of God and it just overwhelmed me? I've just got to say that over the last two weeks, I've had two prophetic words given to me. And one of them in particular said a phrase that just 
rocked me. You know what it was? It was, Ben, God really loves you. Out of all the things that were said, that's the thing that sticks in my mind. You know, you need to know that God loves you. Like, not just loves you, cliche preacher from the front saying loves you. God really, really loves you. In fact, He loves you so much that He sent the Holy Spirit. He loves you so much that He wants you to be filled with that agape love. He wants that love to dwell in you and become your power and become the, the rock Become the the new heart. Become the new center from which you live your life. He wants you to know that you are so loved and you are so important to Him and you are so precious to Him that Jesus died. What does John 3.16 say? Shia? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever may believe, whoever may believe. But God didn't leave it there. He sent his spirit. I've got a handout that I'll leave at the front and if you want to take your handout and just review what I've shared today, you're most welcome to. But at the end of that handout, it's got some questions and I just want to ask you these questions. And then we'll close in prayer. Could my heart be filled with and experience agape love again and again and again? How am I desiring the gifts? If I was to tell someone how I desire the gifts, what would you say to someone? What would that look like? If someone came to you and said, Listen, what are these spiritual gifts? How, How can I get them? How would you answer that? What are you doing to witness Jesus around you? How can you allow agape love to overcome unbelief? And you might be in the boat, but do you want to fish? You might be in the boat, you're safe. But God's called you to fish. If you want prayer today, if you want prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want prayer to sense His agape presence, If if you want someone to stand with you and pray with you and agree with you and ask the Lord for what he has promised to give, I would count it a privilege to pray with you after the service. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful group of people whom you love. Lord, I thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we can be filled. And Lord, that we can desire the gifts of the Spirit, the power. Lord, that we can witness with strength and love, that, Lord, we can be effective for your kingdom. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person here. May they enjoy your agape love afresh this week. May they go from this place, Lord, loved a little bit more. May they realize and become aware of your deep love for them. Lord, may they share that love with others around about them. Lord, may we be your witnesses in this city, in this country, and to the ends of the world. Father, bless each person here. And everybody said, Amen.
Well, God bless you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit.